Hey there, good morning. Just listen to Billy Carson, Children of the Garden of Eden, and Sumerian masquerading gods. Let's see what else. Billy Carson, the forces that divide the conscious community. Hmm. These are those rhombohedron crystals in your pineal gland. When those crystals become electrically activated, all of a sudden they start calling energy back to them and they begin to build their own electromagnetic field. We're seeing common people around the world becoming supernatural when they follow this formula. They're healing themselves, they're creating new jobs, new opportunities, and they're having mystical experiences. Billy Carson talks to the awakening. Billy Carson, um, welcome to Contacting the Desert 2019. Um, I think before we start talking about anything else, you've got it on your knee. Um, it's your brand new book, Emerald Tablets, amazing front cover. Tell us a little bit about the book. The Compendium of the Emerald Tablets is a book that I took information from the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, the Atlantean, uh, and which were written about 36,000 years ago. And I broke down the esoteric wisdom, the knowledge, the information, the quantum physics, quantum mechanics, and some of the ancient technology being talked about in the ancient past and how it's being used today and how we're just now rediscovering this information. And I, I put it all into this book, Compendium of the Emerald Tablets. And uh, a lot of people are really excited about the book. I even have uh, high school teachers and even college professors telling me that they're using this information in their, in their college and their schools. Just explain, so if you can show the book again, mm -hmm. the, the image on the front, can you just, what is that image? This is the image of Thoth the Atlantean himself. Uh, Thoth the Atlantean, who was also an Anunnaki god in ancient times, was always depicted with the head of an ibis bird. And if you look at an ibis bird, there's, there's a lot of them obviously in the um, Middle East, in, in Egypt as well, in Africa. They have to put their beaks deep into the mud to come up with their sustenance. So what this is an archetype of is saying that Thoth the Atlantean, who brought a lot of knowledge and wisdom to mankind, had to go into the darkness to bring darkness to light. So that's why he's always depicted with the head of an ibis bird. It's not that he really had a bird head or that he was a bird man. It's just an uh, archetype of uh, depicting his wisdom and knowledge that he would go into dark areas. He always talks about going to civilizations that had fallen and bringing them back to a high level. That was one of his specialties that he did, not only on Earth, but also on other planets as well. I truly do believe that the origins of humanoids and mankind are not directly from Earth. Uh, I, I believe that now, based off of my research, it appears that this planet was visited by beings from other planets in the distant past, not just one planet, but multiple different planets and different star systems that came to this planet to mine it for resources, to do investigation in their own research, uh, as, as well as seed this planet with life. And I believe that we had a cousin on this planet that was seeded here in ancient times, deep, deep antiquity, uh, and then was later genetically modified by another race that came here about 450,000 years ago, known as the Anunnaki, the people who started the Atlantean civilizations on this planet. So, would you say we're still uh, in contact with these beings, or have they left the planet and we're just here to defend for ourselves now? I truly do believe that there's a small faction of these beings that had remained on this planet after the last pyramid war. Uh, and their bloodline is still here till this very day, ruling and overseeing the 7.5 billion people on this planet. I believe that those bloodlines are directly related to the 13 families that are now currently controlling this planet.
everybody in this community who's putting out this kind of content is really struggling. Mm -hmm. What's the purpose behind the, the censorship? Is this, this bloodline maybe controlling this manipulation? Well, you know, there's uh, only a few corporations that control all the world's media. And unfortunately, social media has now been taken over by a lot of these major corporations. They kind of oversee everything in terms of the content being put out. And since they can't just completely cut it and stop it, what they've done is they've now found a way to censor it by saying it's fake news, by deleting posts and content, saying it goes against community standards, uh, or saying it's a threat to the community. I've had that too. I put a post up about empathy. They deleted it saying it was a threat to the community. I'm like, a post about empathy? But if somebody's half naked dancing and or fighting, that's allowed to stay up. Or if, or if there's a, you know, a shooting, that's allowed to stay up. But anything dealing with knowledge, wisdom, understanding, it uh, seems to be kind of suppressed in a way. And so between all what I've done to overcome this, I've created multiple accounts. And between all of my accounts, I have over 3 million followers now. And so I just found a way to find little niches where I can tap into certain aspects of, of different types of uh, enlightening information and push those out there. And even though it may be suppressed in some ways, overall, I still get to put my information out to the masses. I think that Conquer and Divide has been implemented into the conscious community to help break it apart and fractalize it. Uh, I believe that the powers that be have found a way to infiltrate and become some of these quote unquote conscious accounts or be, start some of these conscious accounts, acquire a mass of followers, 10, 15,000, some even two, 300,000, I believe. And then once they acquire these f followers with content that really seems to be on track with the mission, then they go on this hate rant where they now convert these followers into disciples in a way and they go and start hating on other big accounts and attacking them, uh, digging up information, falsifying information, whatever it takes to try to bring some of the bigger accounts down and then their disciples, the people who had been following them till they got pretty big, now almost believe everything they say. It's almost as if like they're, they're, they're the leader now. And then so they begin to then go as well and attack and, and try to uh, dox people and try to uh, defame or add defamation of character to people they don't they don't even know they've never done any research on any of these people they don't know what the documents real documents are fake they have no they're just going by what somebody else has said so some of these accounts really have literally started their own social media accounts these these conquer and divide mainstream people whether it's the CIA whether it's the government whether it's who knows who exactly it is but it's outside sources that have infiltrated with that grown accounts organically and then now I've turned those accounts into enemy accounts of the conscious community. You guys, my girlfriends have been freaking out over this. I saw a urologist talk about this on the news and men that tried it are reporting how quickly they were able to... So the conscious community. I was really surprised on her. That's the first time I've seen someone go at you. And yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a major thing, but she just right. put this stupid comment out there with <laughs> yeah. no research to it. Mm -hmm. uh, some speakers, I don't think, help themselves, mm -hmm. but that's, that's their path. That's the way they want to go about it. And I was really surprised yeah. because you are not in that world of the conflict and the infighting. No. There's a few speakers, and you're one of them, that yeah. you're on the outside and you're here to do what you want to do with exactly. your work. So I was really shocked... Uh, and it kind of like really brought it home. Do you think this is a reflection of the society and the world as well at the moment being played out within social media? Yeah, uh, it is. I do. I think that, um, you know, we're, we are moving progressively towards a positive track consciously. But along the way, we're going to hit bumps in the road. Um, we're going to, um, you know, we're trying to learn how to, we're literally crawling. We're trying to learn how to walk. And in that, when a baby's trying to learn how to walk, it falls down a few times. And this is the stage that we're in right now. 
Okay. Um, do you think the censorship is here to stay with social media? How do you think we can get past it at some point? I think we can get past the censorship with social media uh, at some point due to the fact that enough people becoming conscious will start to work at some of these big corporations that are running these social media accounts and they're the ones who are pressing the magic buttons behind the scenes. So the goal is to get conscious people in government, conscious people in these big corporations that run and control social media, conscious people in the news, conscious people in, in technology. And those people then will be able to help and assist us with our mission. What's the top three ancient sites that you believe show real evidence that we are not alone? The top three, number one, would have to be the Giza Plateau. I've been to the Giza Plateau. I've been to the pyramids there. I've been inside the pyramid, underneath the pyramid. I've been everywhere you could think of. I've been the Grand Gallery. Uh, it just spews of advanced technology. The Giza Plateau is a multifunctional uh, stone computer platform that is a computer, um, uh, a computer that generates all in information about our solar system and the inner planets. If you look at the Giza Plateau from up, uh, from space looking down, and then look at the um, astronomical map of NASA that shows the inner planets, I'm talking about Mercury, Venus, Earth, and Mars orbiting around the sun, if you take that actual diagram from NASA and overlay it over the Giza Plateau where the temples and the structures line up, you get an exact match to NASA's star map down to the AU. That's incredible. Okay, think about that for a second. Then also you have the fact that the, uh, the Great Pyramid was built over a reservoir, and I do, truly do believe it was a, a massive power, generation, power generator in ancient times and generated wireless electricity that Nikola Tesla kind of rediscovered. Uh, I've also, when I've gone there, I've seen uh, uh, machine markings or machine etchings inside of some of these stones and some of these statues that kind of give a clue that there was some type of machining going on back then to create some of these um, massive blocks and so forth. So it's really amazing. So Giza Plateau, I would say. Another one I would have to say would be Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu is, is unbelievable. When I, you know, I've been there uh, from top to the bottom, and the entire area, which spans thousands and thousands of acres, appears to be completely terraformed. There's a gigantic mountain that's made in the shape of a face looking up into the sky, and to terraform that mountain like that, you have to have advantage. I mean, you're not going to do that with just chisels and bones. To terraform a mountain into a face, you have to have advanced technology. It, or it would take so many generations to do something like that, and so much work, and there's no ejector material or leftover material at the base of the mountain saying that this is where you know, the material fell. Even that's cleaned away. So somehow something took away all that material. We're talking about millions of tons of stone taken away. Uh, then you have the structures up there itself. And uh, according to a lot of the ancients, even the, the homegrown archaeologist that was with me on site said that this was an ancient airport for the gods. This is where they would land and they would stay up here away from the people. They have temples up there. The stonework is still showing. You can't put a human hair in between them. There's no mortar in between the bricks and the stone. It's just an amazing place. So I would say Machu Picchu is, is another one. And then another one that I've been to uh, is Angkor Wat in Cambodia. Amazing place. Again, you can't put a human hair in between the stone blocks there. 500 hectares of land, uh, over 20 uh, temples in the area, all built in ancient times, Angkor Wat being to me the most prominent and the best one. Uh, and the, according to the, the locals, that temple, that massive stone temple was poured into place in a day and a night. It, it, amazing. I mean, so what they're saying is somehow this temple was built in two days using some type of advanced technology that we don't currently know of or exist today. We are approaching the 50th anniversary 
of the uh, Apollo 11 moon landing. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't imagine you was um, watching it live. I don't think you're that old. <laughs> um, what's your take of the whole Apollo 11 moon landing, um, the conspiracy behind mm -hmm. it that, you know, it was all fate? Mm -hmm. what, what's your own beliefs on the, the moon landing? I actually did a very huge article on my blog on ForbiddenKnowledge.com, uh, and uh, the blog is went viral because I really exposed the fact that yes we went to the moon but also yes we lied about it. I did a very good job with a lot of the science and showing a lot of diagrams in there as well so people who are visual learners can understand exactly what happened. First and foremost we sent um, uh, satellites up to the moon before we sent people there uh, and we took accurate scans high and low orbit lunar uh, uh, scans of the moon and we came back knowing that there were actually things up there that are anomalies that don't belong. That is what really fueled the mission for all these governments to try to get to the moon. Between us and Russia, we're the top leaders in this whole uh, um, you know, fight to get to the moon first. When we got there, um, the first thing that we did was we did two things. One, we kind of filmed exactly what we needed to film and went and acquired the, uh, the, the I think, ancient technology that we wanted to bring back. At the same time, the flight path took into consideration the Van Allen radiation belts, and they actually went through a path directly through the belt and was able to get to the moon completely unscathed by the radiation belt. The radiation belt is a hoax. The next thing you see online is you see all the time the Apollo 11 suits, and you see a very smooth boot at the bottom of the suit, and, and then you see a boot print next to that, and they go, how do we get a boot print on the moon if there's no boot print on the bottom of the actual spacesuit? Well, the spacesuits are actually a onesie, and uh, the, the, base, the, the base of the boot is a slip-on that attaches with these Velcro straps. You don't walk around with 10-pound boots inside of a, a Apollo uh, capsule on your way to the moon. It takes three days to get there. What you do is you, you have this onesie outfit on that has a very smooth bottom. And when you get ready to do your moonwalk is when you slip on these boots. And I demonstrate this on the blog, and I actually have pictures of the actual moon boots. What happens is the hoaxers have actually cropped out the, the slip-on part and you know, to, perpetu to perpetuate their, their agenda of the moon landing being fake when it's actually a real thing that really did happen. Uh, so the moon landing happened, the, the radiation belt is a hoax, the fact that we can't get through it I should say is a hoax. The boots that are not there are a hoax, the boots are really actually there, the boots are in the photos, I've actually seen boots in person uh, and, um, and, and we've gone there basically, to kept, it, kept it a secret, we've gone there to acquire information about an ancient civilization which I believe is linked to Atlantis, I believe they were interplanetary, uh, and uh, we've acquired that information, that technology, whatever was left behind, to analyze it for themselves on a high level before letting the general population know. They don't want the general population to know more than them or a sa the same as them because knowledge is actually power. So do you believe the whole secret space program it has been happening for a long time? Oh, the secret space program goes back to the 1930s. I truly believe, uh, I'm going all the way back to now Hitler's era now, uh, you know, where he went around the world looking for all these ancient documents and ancient scriptures and going to Tibet and going to Antarctica and coming up with all this ancient information to build these Hanabu craft. And then us as America then acquired all of those scientists from Project Paperclip from Germany, brought them to America, utilized them the same information that they learned from all these ancient texts and tablets to develop technology for America. That's when a secret space program literally started for us. Can you summarize what's going on for newly awakened people that think, sure. what, what is going on? Well, I'll start with my experience personally, which yeah. is why I decided to come here because... What you're seeing behind me is the Mind Valley office. This was an Inc. magazine. It's one of the top 10 most gorgeous offices in the world. But I want to show you because this is in a kind of experiencing thing too. A lot of people here have had some. Uh, and basically what happened was when I was a youth, uh, about seven years old, I actually saw a UFO in my backyard, even though I didn't know 
the name UFO, the title Flying Saucer or Aliens, because we're talking about the 1970s. But uh, I knew that what I saw wasn't an airplane. We live by an airport. So if an airport's there and I see this, this is not an airplane. I started researching from encyclopedias back then when we didn't have Google <laughs> and looking up all the different aerospace technology until I came across uh, you know, the space program. So then I got into the Mercury missions, Apollo missions and everything, and I still couldn't find what I saw. So that led me on the path of discovery, trying to figure out what it was that I saw. So that's how I started learning about aerospace, high technology, secret projects, secret space programs. Literally from back then is when I started researching. Yeah. So it took me decades of time to get to the level of making a lot of contacts on the way to get to the point where I am now, understanding that there is not only uh, UFOs that we ourselves have created, but it's most likely reverse alien uh, reproduction from more advanced craft that we might have either, either forced down or that have been discovered from ancient times and we try to re reconstruct them. Uh, but there are two. I, I believe there's one that's an alien presence that might be terrestrial or extraterrestrial, nobody can really say and one that most likely is uh, our own that we've built and probably the majority of the ones we see in the sky that we say are UFOs are probably IFOs, identified flying objects. In other words, we created them. It's just that the general population doesn't know that they're actually ours. Mm. Uh, one thing I've said, I mean, I'm, I'm part of the new wave, just like you most mm -hmm. probably here, and consciousness is definitely the yeah. key for us guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we love the, the bolts, the facts, the figures, the yeah. Roswell crash, right. things like that, but it's moved on so much, hasn't it? It's, yes. What's your take on the whole conscious, consciousness movement within in ufology? Well, I think that we have two groups really watching us here on this planet. One group that probably is more sinister, and another group that is probably uh, really looking for us to grow up. And I think that um, once human beings get to a point consciously where we grow up and we begin to see each other as equals and we begin to treat each other with respect, dignity, love, ultimately love altogether because uh, unconditional love is really what can control the frequency on this planet that those uh, that particular group will step in and maybe give some assistance but I think we're not even a type zero civilization yet and that we're still running around here unfortunately I know people may want to not want to hear this but we're still killing animals and torturing other living beings but when we get to the point where we extend empathy to the small of, smallest of, of, of beings whether it's even an ant we can work our way up to, to, to extending that same love to humans and see each other, each other as one, then I truly believe that these, the good group will step in and maybe show themselves a little bit more and start enhancing and helping us break free. I think they really want to see us grow up to a point where we can not only love ourselves, but then also break free of this 100 families that's running 7.5 billion people on this planet. Uh, I, I really think that they're waiting for us to get to that point. One day, okay, they're crawling now, let's, inter you know, let's interject and help them out a little bit. But I think until we can get to that point, we're just gonna be observed. Yeah. Um, you're awesome with social media, which Thank is you. so important because I know you, ufology's got kind of a, an old vibe to it. It's still got that attachment of little green men in space. That's what a lot of the yeah. non-believes, if you like, believe. Mm -hmm. And you know, the way forward for, for the whole community is definitely social media because yeah. that's where the, the youth is. Yeah. What kind of channels are you running? So people watching this now thinking, oh. yeah, I dig this guy. Yeah, I like what yeah. he's saying. What, we can't read them all out because we haven't got time. <laughs> I know. Well, it's what? real easy. Forbidden Knowledge with the number four. Forbidden Knowledge. Use the number four, B-I-D-D-E-N. Forbidden yeah. Knowledge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, uh, you know, anywhere. Just type it in. Even on iTunes. Yeah. I've got music out there. Conscious music that talks about UFOs and alien interactions and Anunnaki and everything else. Uh, and also some instrumentals to so let people get into transcendental states and meditation, 432 hertz, 528 hertz. So just type in Forbidden Knowledge with Billy Carson mm -hmm. anywhere, even on YouTube, get all my instructional videos, on my video. I've been in hundreds of videos on YouTube, mm -hmm. many talk shows, and also uh, many uh, iTunes and uh, podcasts. Yeah, see, 
This is about you, Follett. You're so much intelligence. It's an intelligent community. It's yeah. a smart community. Yeah. You're a serious businessman. You know, you've yes, got sir. a heavy career in the sports <laughs> industry, man. Yeah. So people are probably watching this thinking, wow, is this the Billy Carson we've heard of on sports <laughs> talking about UFOs? Yeah. Does it affect your work in that environment? It's kind of strange, yeah, because like even with my son, um, he was telling me that uh, some of his teammates, because I had coached his team for an AAU tournament, uh, Junior Olympics, uh, one year recently. And he said they were like, they found me online and they said, wait a minute, your dad's into UFOs and aliens. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Okay. I'm you know, so it's, uh, he was a little uncomfortable. Where I can understand that, you know, but when pe a lot of people that I've dealt with in the past didn't really know and even how long I've been into this stuff, because I kind of, you know, yeah. you have to know how to be politically correct at certain times. And that's what I know how to do. I don't want to scare parents away from our projects and programs going to US, Team USA and going to AAU programs. So I, I pick and choose where I drop seeds or whatever. But a lot of people now that have really come all the way out, that I'm really done with the basketball and stuff like that, and really come out and let people know the knowledge that I have and, and, and research, a lot of people are really stunned, shocked. Some are really astonished. Uh, I've heard all kinds of statements like, I didn't know you were that smart, or you're crazy, you know, from, from both ends <laughs> yeah. you know, of the spectrum. But the people who think I'm even crazy are still following and listening. So I'm still dropping seeds. So that's good. So um, we'll, we'll wrap it up quickly, because I know you've got to go and get your flight. Um, Loads of researchers, loads of speakers here. Mm -hmm. Is there one particular speaker out of everybody there that you keep your eyes on and yeah, you like what they're doing? Man, everybody's so phenomenal and I've yeah. learned so much from everybody, from Eric Von Daniken who I got to yesterday. He was propping the bar up last night, the Godfather. Yeah. Oh, wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I had a chance to talk to him yesterday. Phenomenal guy. I've been in shows with Eric Von Daniken on Gaia. Uh, but I finally had a chance to really, you know, talk. Yeah. You're in the green room, out the green room. It's tough. But I would say um, Robert Schock, um, as far as still a trendsetter here, I, you know, I really like Robert Schock a lot. But he's a guy that I really admire just because you know, he was with John Anthony West a lot. And he had made that great, strong friendship. And they really pioneered a lot of stuff that had led me to my own uh, understanding and awakening about the, em the Emerald Tablets and how they can correlate to some of the scientific data they kind of have come up with as well. Um, so it was phenomenal. And of course, they did the tribute to uh, John Anthony West here. And Robert Schock gave the tribute, which I thought was phenomenal. So I was really impressed. Hi, uh, I'm Grace. I'm a tour guide here in Trinity. Uh, we're standing outside the museum building, one of the most beautiful buildings on campus. It's no. Great stuff. Politics AF. Ancient magic. Um. Oh. 
one day ago. Vesica Pisces in 3D reality exploring ancient secrets. Okay. And sacred geometry. guys, Forbidden Knowledge here. I want to talk to you real quick about the Vesica Pisces and the womb of creation. A circle actually has two points, point A and point B. These two single points are actually clones of one another. And those two points have equal potential because point A can rotate around point B and point B can rotate around point A. This is one radius that both circles share. The black form in the middle is called the Vesica Pisces. You are literally looking at the womb of the universe. Every single thing that exists emanates from the Vesica Pisces. I mean all. All of the vibratory frequencies that create a material world actually emanate from this womb. The energy from the matrix is feminine by nature. The ancients called it the Sophia energy. They already knew the universal energy was actually feminine. You have male and you have female. You have uh, masculine and you have feminine. You need both to exist. You need both to propagate this third dimensional reality. But all life in this third dimension emanates from this womb of creation, this energetic form that's inside of the flower of life. The ancients knew about it tens of thousands of years ago. If I show you a picture that I have here when I visited the Temple of Osiris uh, back in 2014, etched into the actual stone pillar atomically etched into it is the flower of life okay and that's amazing i'm actually going to go up to it real quick uh because i really want you to see this it's really an amazing thing okay here's the temple of osiris by the way on the way down it's right next to the temple of abydos okay now if you haven't gone to anybody here been to the temple of abydos oh my goodness you gotta go because you won't believe it until you see it with your own eyes the hieroglyphs that have airplanes, tanks, submarines, and helicopters in them, about 100 meters above your head, etched into stone directly above you. And the mainstream told the Egyptologists, um, all of them, not just the one I was with, that the story we're supposed to give to the general population is that these were re-etched and they looked like that by accident. <laughs> and people took that and ran with it because the news said so. But when you talk to the homegrown Egyptologists and researchers and, and guides from the area, they will tell you that we're told to say this, but the truth is these have never been touched and our people can't figure out how they got there and they've never been resurfaced or retouched. Nobody's ever put a ladder to go way up there and etched and re-etched these, uh, these glyphs. This is just the way they've been since the beginning. They, they have never been touched. But this symbol here of the Flower of Life at the Temple of Osiris, or the Assyrian Temple, uh, which is the, the green gentleman that I showed you yesterday, the green Egyptian. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this $100,000 check in less than 30 seconds. I know it sounds crazy, but trust me, if you've been injured in a car accident, I'm about to turn your world upside down. So I was in a car accident a few months ago. My car was totaled and I ended up injuring my arm. I was in a bad situation, I missed work, and to make things worse, the small check the insurance offered me 
wasn't enough to buy a replacement part in this market. Luckily, I was scrolling on my phone late at night and came across a video just like this. So we've all heard of AI before. It's smarter and better than you. Green gentlemen that I showed you yesterday, the green Egyptian, or Comedic Man, or the Anunnaki Atlantic, you want to call them that. This is atomically etched into this stone, which allows it to stay there permanently unless the stone is broken. In other words, it's, it's been put on the stone in a way that affects the atomic structure. And scientists from over the world have been researching this to figure out how in the world did they do this. This is not just chiseled into the stone. It's done through a specific type of energy field that creates this, Im this imprint directly on the stone. Kind of similar to the shroud of Turin uh, type of a situation where you have the light that had to pass through that shroud to create the image on the shroud. Well, this is amazing because this is depicting here some form of energy that allowed this thing to be imprinted into stone that we still don't know how it happened today with our technology. When you go there, you're going to begin to see temples that are at your level. In other words, on the topography at your level that you're at. And then you're going to start realizing that there's temples below those. And then below those are even more temples. The Assyrian is lower than the Temple of Abydos because it was built, they built Abydos on top of it. And they build civilization on top of civilization that way, especially if they claim it to be a holy site or a site where the gods dwelled. So they would definitely feel like they would put a temple on top of it to maintain that, that, that same purity, that same energy, that same worship to that deity or entity by building a temple directly on top of it. And what the Spaniards kind of do to mimic that same, that, that exact same mindset, uh, when they went to uh, Mexico, to Teotihuacan, they, if you look at Mexico City, there's hundreds of hills in Mexico City. Each one of those hills is a pyramid. Every single one. Look it up. Every single one. I've been there many times. What they've done is they build on top of the pyramid. They blow off the top and they build a church on top, unfortunately, what the Spaniards did. But using the same ideology, they took something that was considered holy to another people, blew off the top and put a church on top of it. So everywhere you see a Catholic church in, in Mexico City, directly underneath is a pyramid. Same thing the Egyptians did. They went to these temples and so forth and built directly on top of them. And I mean super megalithic structures on top of And you can go anywhere in the world and you're going to find the same exact thing. You're down in the Yucatan Peninsula at Chichen Itza. You start to see they've been digging alongside of these other pyramids and discovering other temples and pyramids buried deep beneath the earth there. In Peru, the same thing. No matter where you go, they just keep building on top. More megalithic on top. Even in Baalbek, the super massive stones of Baalbek that weigh hundreds of thousands of tons underneath are more uh, bigger stones that were, you were put there even before that. The temple of uh, all those Greek temples uh, of, uh, you know, of uh, Apollo and all of that, they're all built on ancient Anunnaki temples. All of them. Every single one is built on top of an ancient Anunnaki temple from over hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's how they claim those sites to be ancient and also harness the power of those locations because they knew that these gods that they were worshiping put these temples on highly magnetic spots, nodes on the earth. So instead of trying to figure out where to go, elsewhere to go to do this or duplicate this, they just built directly on top of what's already there to harness those energies. Okay, well, let me go back up and then we'll start from there. Because I really wanted to get back anyway to the meter, but there's just so many, so many topics, there's just so much information. And you may say, well, is he, are these Egyptians? Yes, these are Egyptians. They would teach this to the initiate. Everything I'm telling you has been taught to initiates. They had to understand the manipulation and how to manipulate, what's been manipulated, what the true history of their people were, what the true ancient past was, 
that's the only way to get to the next level, to understand what's coming after, to be able to grasp the, the, the future knowledge. It was all based off of that. Some people tend to think it's like you're walking into a place and it's got people humming and, you know, smoke is coming up from sage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can do it like that if you want, but you, know, you can just give people real solid information that they can learn from. Um, it's not that I don't like to take, you know, rob you already of the mysticism of things, but I like to give people direct information and direct knowledge and let them discern it and take it and be able to digest it and walk away with something that they can say, I learned something here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Zep Tepe, where the Neturu came to Earth. The Neturu are these ancient Atlanteans or these Anunnaki. Atlanteans and Anunnaki are really the same people. Okay, So Anunnaki, Anu, was the king or the ruler of the these beings that came from specific planets close to this star system. Um, some say Nibiru, which is mentioned in the Enuma Elish. Some think it came, they came from Sirius A, B, and C. Some think they came from the Orion. I think they came from all three. Okay, All three. Now, the initial uh, ones that came, I think they came down from Nibiru. This Nibiru planet that's mentioned in the Enuma Elish in seven types of creation, which date back about seven to 8,000 years and were decided way back in the 16 and 1700s. Okay? Um, but this is, uh, so they got that name because King was Earth to them. King was Earth. And I knew it was the king, so Anunnaki. It's a generalized term for beings coming to Earth. Not beings coming to other planets. Only if they're coming to Earth, they're Anunnaki. Now, the civilization was the Atlantean civilization. Okay, that was the name of the civilization, the Atlantean civilization. And a lot of records about it have been left behind. The original founders of Kem, uh, now named Egypt. Now, Kem, like I told you before yesterday, if you forgot, is the black land. It's the land of the original home of the, uh, look like a butterfly coming down. It's the, the original home, or the, 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 the kickstarter, the re-kickstarter of civilization after the great flood was the land of Kem. If you remember the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, those said his dad sent him to the land of Kem to bring back civilization to a high level. So that means prior to that flood, they were already at a high level, and then they were then brought back to a high level through the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding, and architecture of thought. But, uh, you know, so that's really important to understand and know. Originally, you know, originally the land of Kim was only black people. That's just a fact, a well-documented fact. Those people were called the Dogon tribe, okay? The Dogons. That was the original inhabitants of the land of Kim. Now, what happened? How come they're not there? Well, they're still there. They're in Africa. They're now in Mali, Africa. Okay, they're in Mali. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't know is Egypt was overthrown quite a few times. <laughs> seven times that we at least know of. Okay, seven times. Persians, Assyrians, you know, I mean, you, different Arab uh, countries. I mean, you just name it. Um, Greek. Grass-fed butter. This is why you feel weird after eating butter. Grass-fed butter. You go, whoa, grass-fed butter. Greeks. I mean, it's been when you go to Egypt, like I said, when you go, you will see the uh, etchings into the stone at the temples of the different kings that came from different countries that conquered Egypt. They left their mark, almost like, you know, you go to the bathroom and sign the walls up, and I say, you guys have ever done that. <laughs> but if you ever seen that in the bathroom, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just leave your mark, or you see somebody etch a name into a tree somewhere in the, in the woods, right? They're like, okay, we were here, man. We took this thing over. Boom, boom, boom. Here's our information. And you can see even in their own original writing, whatever that language was, that's how they etched it into the temples and everything else. So it's well documented. It's not a myth. It's not a, you know, a conspiracy theory. Egypt was taken over many, many times. Okay, just so people can know and understand. Uh, when I see pharaohs of different colors, it's because they were different colors. 
it's just the, it's just the, it's just reality you know it's just reality um and i have to make that statement because there's some people that want it only to be one way and some people who want it to only be another way but over many thousands of years during the dynastic era it was many races of people it's just a fact so we have to grow up and live with that okay we can't be uh you know going through all these um you know these these uh, little things, and I, I wanted to be this, and I wanted to be that. If you, whatever you wanted to be, doesn't matter. What it was is what's true, okay? And I'm telling you what what it was and what's true is the fact that Egypt started off as a black race. They migrated to Mali, Africa after being defeated or taken over, and throughout the period of all of tens of thousands of years, it changed over hands many times. And sometimes it was black, sometimes it was Caucasian, sometimes it was Arab. It's just the way it is, guys. It's just it's just a fact of life. We have to learn how to grow up and live with that. Um, you know, so it's just everybody has their piece of Egypt, okay? Everybody. Um, right now, it's, you know, mostly Muslims have control of that area. When you go there, you're going to see a lot of Muslim people, you know? You're going to see people dressed in those Muslim clothes, women completely covered, only the eyeballs showing and everything else, you know? But So they were the original founders of, of, uh, of Kim. Um, now, Zep Tepe, the beginning of time when the sky gods, I call them aliens, you know, if you if if somebody says you're not from here, the definition is an alien. Right. Does that mean you're a little green man with antenna come out of your head? It means you're an alien. If I go to Egypt, I mean if I go yeah, if I go to Egypt, if I go to Europe, if I go anywhere, China, I'm an alien. I'm not from there. If I come to another go to another planet, I'm an alien. The Mars rover that we sent to Mars, it's a it's an alien device. Okay? It's just another fact. 85% of, 85.9% of people in this world, on this planet, worship one religion or another. And in every one of those religions, which I cover in my book, they all say that the God that they're worshiping, or the deities that they're worshiping, claim to not be from Earth. So, all these people are worshiping aliens that don't even know it. <laughs> Just a fact of life. They're all worshiping aliens. And when you say alien, they try to bat you down, but they're worshiping aliens. You know, it's a fact. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not of this world. Alien. Okay? It's just a fact. It's a fact. And, you know, I don't know why people don't want to just come to terms with it, but they really struggle with that fact. Uh, uh, so they descended from the stars and flying boats, which are spaceships, and turned mud and water into a new kingdom. When I first moved to western Florida uh, about 24 years ago, it was all this big Everglades area, which is nothing but swamp. Nothing but swamp. That's all you can see. As far as I could see was swamp land. And I literally moved into a, a neighborhood there that was just built and watched this entire city get built and come up straight out of the mud. They took these trucks uh, and they scooped up all the muck out of these swamps. And then they took that muck and they took the soil from underneath the muck and used that to create bricks and everything else for the entire city. They used the muck to create foundations for lands and lots and communities right from the same place. And then the areas that they dug out, they turned those into lakes, which they didn't charge you extra for the lake view. <laughs> they know how to print the game really good. They know how to play in the matrix. So what I'm saying is we're doing the same thing right now. So why wouldn't they do this back then? Okay? This is just standard. It's just, it's just the way that we're set up. The symbol for God is Naturu which translates into a being that came from the cosmos. This is ancient Egyptian taught information and knowledge. I'm not the only one that knows this. You can find this out as well, okay? So 
they're saying that these Naturu came from the cosmos, they came from space in flying boats. Now, you've got to remember, these people are coming from a time frame, in other words, the people that are recording this information, where they're using the terminology and words they had in their vocabulary. Okay? They had it in, when I saw the UFO when I was a kid, the word UFO wasn't in my vocabulary. The word flying saucer was not in my vocabulary. The word alien wasn't in my vocabulary at the age of seven. I had no idea what I just saw. I didn't go around saying, I just saw a UFO. I just said, I saw this silver oval thing flying in the sky that was kind of bright in color. That's a long way of saying, you know, UFO. But I didn't have the word. It didn't, that term didn't exist in my mind. It didn't exist in my vocabulary. I didn't learn that until much later, actually. I started looking into aerospace books in the, in, the, in, the, in the library trying to figure out what I saw. That's when I started researching, 1977. I started looking up every book on aerospace that I could find. And in none of those books did they even have the word UFO or alien. So that word still eluded me for a very long term, still eluded me for a very long time. During the fable first time, and Zep Tepe, some call it Zep Tepe, some call it Tep Zepi, believe it or not. So it can be reversed around, depending on whose version of the ancient history you're reading, or even sometimes depending on what part of Egypt has recorded information. When God, like all aliens, ruled on earth, the waters of the abyss receded. Again, this is another. The Zep Tepe story is another account of what? A great flood. More evidence that we had a global flood. Um, the primordial darkness was banished, and the human biogenic experiment emerged from the light. The Urshu, a category of lesser divinities, which were lower-ranked aliens. Now, let's stop right there. What do you look at the Sumerian tablets? They have the lower-ranked Anunnaki called the Ejiji, and the Enuma Elish in the epic of Atraasis. So it's the same story, just told by a slightly different culture, but the same exact story. A great flood, beings that came from space, and a lower working class level of a being that were still not from here, Earth. This is my dad, Chuck Norris. They say he doesn't do push-ups, he pushes the Earth down. What blows people's minds is how my dad is still kicking, punching, Egypt started off as a black race. They migrated to Mali, Africa after being defeated or taken over. And throughout the period of all of tens of thousands of years, it changed over hand many times. And sometimes it was black, sometimes other temples and pyramids buried deep beneath the earth there. In Peru, the same thing. No matter where you go, they just keep building on top, more breaking up on top. Even in Baalbek, the super massive stones of Baalbek that weigh hundreds of thousands of tons underneath are more uh, bigger stones that were, you know, were put there even before that. The temple of uh, all those Greek temples uh, of, uh, you know, and of uh, Apollo and all of that, they're all built on ancient Anunnaki temples. All of them. Every single one is built on top of an ancient Anunnaki temple from over hundreds of thousands of years ago. That's how they claim those sites to be ancient and also harness the power of those locations because they knew that these gods that they were worshiping put these temples on highly magnetic spots, nodes on the earth. So instead of trying to figure out where to go, elsewhere to go to do this or duplicate this, they just built directly on top of what's already there to harness those energies. Okay, well, let me go back up and then we'll start from there. Because I really wanted to get back anyway to the meter, but there's just so many, so many topics, there's so much information. And you may say, well, this, are these Egyptians? Yes, these are Egypt. They would teach this to the initiate. Everything I'm telling you has been taught to initiates. They had to understand the manipulation 
and how to manipulate, what's been manipulated, what the true history of their people were, what the true ancient past was, that's the only way to get to the next level, to understand what's coming after, to be able to grasp the, the, the future knowledge. It was all based off of that. Some people tend to think it's like you're walking into a place and it's got people humming and, you know, smoke is coming up from sage and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you can do it like that if you want, but you, know, you can just give people real solid information that they can learn from. Um, not that I don't like to take, you know, rob you already of the mysticism of things, but I like to give people direct information and direct knowledge and let them discern it and take it and be able to digest it and walk away with something that they can say, I learned something here. So we're going to talk a little bit about Zep Tepe, where the Nituru came to Earth. The Nituru are these ancient Atlanteans, or these Anunnaki. Atlanteans and Anunnaki are really the same people. Okay? So Anunnaki, Anu, was the king or the ruler of the, these beings that came from specific planets close to this star system. Um, some say Nibiru, which is mentioned in the Enuma Elish. Some think it came, they came from Sirius A, B, and C. Some think they came from the Orion. I think they came from all three. Okay? All three. Now, the initial uh, ones that came, I think they came down from Nibiru. This Nibiru planet that's mentioned in the Enuma Elysian Seven Tablets of Creation, which date back about seven to 8,000 years and were decided way back in the 16 and 1700s. Okay? Um, but this is, uh, so they got that name because King was Earth to them. King was Earth, and I knew it was the King, so Anunnaki. It's a generalized term for beings coming to Earth. Not beings coming to other planets, only if they're coming to Earth, they're Anunnaki. Now, the civilization was the Atlantean civilization. Okay, that was the name of the civilization, the Atlantean civilization. And a lot of records about it have been left behind. The original founders of Kem, uh, now named Egypt. Now, Kem, like I told you before yesterday, if you forgot, is the black land. It's the land of the original home of the, uh, look like a butterfly coming down. It's the original home, or the, 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 the kickstart, re, the re-kickstart of civilization, after the Great Flood was the land of Cam. If you remember in the beginning of the Emerald Tablets, those said his dad sent them to the land of Cam to bring back civilization to a high level. So that means prior to that flood, they were already at a high level. Then they were then brought back to a high level to launch with the understanding and architectural code. But uh, you know, that's really important to understand it now. Originally, you know, originally the land of Cam was only black people. That's just a fact, a well-documented fact. Those people were called the Dogon tribe, okay? The Dogons. That was the original inhabitants of the land of Kemp. Now, what happened? How come they're not there? Well, they're still there. They're in Africa. They're now in Mali, Africa. Okay, they're in Mali. Now, one thing that a lot of people don't know is Egypt was overthrown quite a few times. Seven times that we at least know of, okay? Seven times. Persians, Assyrians, you know, I mean, you, different Arab uh, countries. I mean, you just name it. Um, Greeks, I mean... It's been, when you go to Egypt, like I said, when you go, you will see the uh, etchings into the stone at the temples of the different kings that came from different countries that conquered Egypt. They left their mark, almost like, you know, you go to the bathroom and sign the walls up, and I'm not saying you guys have ever done that. <laughs> but if you ever see that in the bathroom, uh, you know what I'm talking about, like you just leave your mark, or you see somebody etch the name into a tree somewhere in the, in the woods, right? They're like, okay, we were here, man. We took this thing over. Boom, boom, boom. Here's our information. And you can see even in their own original writing, whatever that language was, that's how they etched it into the temples and everything else. So it's well documented. It's not a myth. It's not a, you know, a conspiracy theory. Egypt was taken over many, many times. Okay, just so people can know and understand. Uh, when I see pharaohs of different colors, it's because they were different colors. It's just, a, it's just, a, it's just reality. You know, it's just reality.
Um, and I have to make that statement because there's some people that want it only to be one way and some people who want it to only be another way. But over many thousands of years, during the dynastic era, it was many races of people. It's just a fact. So we have to grow up and live with that, okay? We can't be, uh, you know, going through all these, um, you know, these, these uh, little things and I, I want it to be this and I want it to be that. You, whatever you want it to be, it doesn't matter. What it was is what's true, okay? And I'm telling you what, what it was and what's true is the fact that Egypt started off as a black race. They migrated to Mali, Africa after being defeated or taken over. And throughout the period of all of tens of thousands of years, it changed over hands many times. And sometimes it was black, sometimes it was Caucasian, sometimes it was Arab. It's just the way it is, guys. It's just it's just a fact of life. We have to learn how to grow up and live with that. Um, so it's just everybody has their piece of Egypt. <laughs> okay? Everybody. Um, right now, it's, you know, mostly Muslims have control of that area. When you go there, you're going to see a lot of Muslim people. You're going to see people dressed in those Muslim clothes, women completely covered, only the eyeballs showing and everything else, you know. But So they were the original founders of, of, uh, of Kim. Um, now, Zep Tepe, the beginning of time, when the sky gods, I call them aliens, you know, if, you, if, if somebody says you're not from here, the definition is an alien. Right. Let me, you're a little green man with antenna come out of your head. It means you're an alien. If I go to Egypt, I mean, if I go here, yeah, if I go to Egypt, if I go to Europe, if I go anywhere, China, I'm an alien. I'm not from there. If I come to another, go to another planet, I'm an alien. The Mars rover that we sent to Mars, it's, a, it's an alien device. Okay? It's just another fact. 85.9% of, of people in this world, on this planet, worship one religion or another. And in every one of those religions, which I cover in my book, they all say that the God that they're worshiping, or the deities that they're worshiping, claim to not be from Earth. So, all these people are worshiping aliens and don't even know it. As long as this page doesn't say expired, which eventually will happen, you can get two solar generators for the price of one. The first, a truly portable, extremely powerful. So, all these people are worshiping aliens and don't even know it. <laughs> Just a fact of life. They're all worshiping aliens. And when you say alien, they try to bat you down, but they're worshiping aliens. You know, it's a fact. Jesus said, I'm not, I'm not of this world. Alien. Okay? It's just a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. And, you know, I don't know why people don't want to just come to terms with it, but they really struggle with that fact. Uh, <laughs> uh, so they descended from the stars in flying boats, which are spaceships, and turned mud and water into a new kingdom. When I first moved to Western Florida uh, about 24 years ago, it was all this big Everglades area, which is nothing but swamp. Nothing but swamp. That's all you can see. As far as I can see, was swamp land. And I literally moved into a, a neighborhood there that was just built and watched this entire city get built and come up straight out of the mud. They took these trucks uh, and they scooped up all the muck out of these swamps, and then they took that muck and they took the soil from underneath the muck and used that to create bricks and everything else for the entire city. They used the muck to create foundations for lands and lots and communities right from the same place. And then the areas that they dug out, they turned those into lakes, which they didn't charge you extra for the lake view. <laughs> they know how to print the game really good. They know how to play in the matrix. So what I'm saying is we're doing the same thing right now. So why wouldn't they do this back then? Okay? This is just standard. It's just... It's just the way that we're set up. The symbol for God is Nturu, 
which translates into a being that came from the cosmos. This is ancient Egyptian taught information and knowledge. And not the only one that knows this, you can find this out as well. Okay? So they're saying that these the Turu came from the cosmos, they came from space in flying boats. Now you gotta remember, these people are coming from a time frame, in other words, the people that are recording this information, where they're using the terminology and the words that they had in their vocabulary. Okay? They had it in when I saw the UFO when I was a kid, the word UFO wasn't in my vocabulary. The word flying saucer was not in my vocabulary. The word alien wasn't in my vocabulary at the age of seven. I had no idea what I just saw. I didn't go around saying, I just saw a UFO. I just said, I saw this silver oval thing flying in the sky that was kind of bright in color. That's a long way of saying, you know, UFO. But I didn't have the word. It didn't, that term didn't exist in my mind. It didn't exist in my vocabulary. I didn't learn that until much later, actually. I started looking into aerospace books in the, in, the, in, the, in the library trying to figure out what I saw. That's when I started researching in 1977. I started looking up every book on aerospace that I could find. And in none of those books did they even have the word UFO or alien. So that word still eluded me for a very long time. eluded me for a very long time. During the fable first time, uh, Zep Tepe, some call it Zep Tepe and some call it Tep Zepi, believe it or not. So it could be reversed around depending on whose version of the ancient history you're reading, or even sometimes depending on what part of Egypt has recorded information. When gods, who I call aliens, ruled on earth, the waters of the abyss receded. Again, this is another. The Zeptepi story is another account of what? A great flood. More evidence that we had a global flood. Um, the primordial darkness was banished, and the human biogenic experiment emerged from the light. The Urshu, a category of lesser divinities, which were lower-ranked aliens, now let's stop right there. What do you look at Sumerian tablets? They have the lower-ranked Anunnaki called the Ejiji in the Enuma Elysian, the epic of Atrahasis. So it's the same story, just told by a slightly different culture, but the same exact story. A great flood, beings that came from space, and a lower working class level of a being that were still not from Earth. First century Thoth, Billy Carson. He looks, uh, he looks like ancient. Uh, he looks like uh, ancient Egyptian. Dogon, he's probably from the Dogon tribe. Humanity's hidden origin, science of portals, and... These are those rhombohedron crystals in your pineal gland. When those crystals become electrically activated, all of a sudden... Tiny. There's a pine cone-shaped thing to uh, move. Things. It's in it's in the sculptures the the Anunnaki like Enki and Enlil. 
They use this like pine cone looking thing in their hands. podcast. See you later. Hi, welcome back. We're listening to some Billy Carson. This is Humanity's Hidden Origins, Science of Portals and Stargates. Our next guest may be familiar to many of you as he's appeared on Gaia's Deep Space and Ancient Civilizations. Billy Carson has spent much of his life digging into things hidden from view, including the origins of our human species, which of course is one of my favorite passions as well. When I did build this website called Survive Pole Shifts, because I really, after doing a lot of research, I came to the conclusion that we had pole shifts in the past. This is why Antarctica mm-hmm. is where it's at and why animals still have undigested food in their bellies. Mm-hmm. And I came to the conclusion that we were going to have another one probably within the next 200 years or so. So I started researching that very heavily, and I made a website about it, and that kept getting hacked down. And then I started a mobile app development company around that time, and that the app was getting taken down from Apple and also from, at that time, Android. It wasn't Google Play yet. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't give me any answers why that was happening. So I just backed off of that for a little while, and I just kept doing my own private research. Uh, for a few more years, you know, and just keeping it under wraps. Oh, so, so the whole thing about the pole shift, were you looking at it from the point of view of um, magnetic field shifts? Uh, not the magnetic field, so to speak, even though that does happen. Mm-hmm. It's happening right now as we speak. Right, it is. So what, where were you um, basically tapping into it? I was look, realizing that the, um, the crust of the Earth, it shifts and it locks together. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the uh, at these points, and then at certain times, depending on the gravitational forces, especially if there's another gravitational body in our solar system or close by our sun, which I thought was probably called this nemesis object, and then you know, is called, uh, you know, it's a brown dwarf star. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that, in my opinion, it was really out there, based on some of the watching of the precession of the equinox and realizing mm-hmm. our sun was speeding up in precession. So why would our sun speed up? That may raise a big question in my mind. Mm-hmm. So I started researching that our sun is speeding up. It's got to have doing it for breakaway speed. Mm-hmm. And that's when I came to the conclusion early on that we must be orbiting another star. But how come we can't see it? So I started researching that and found out that there are red dwarfs and brown dwarfs, which now my theories that I wrote about all these years have just now been verified because the... Um, so the sun is in a binary star. We're in a binary star. Companionship with yes. another star. It's been verified now. Now, okay, so Walter Cruttenden, mm-hmm. you know, had his conferences for years, and that mm-hmm. was his passion. Oh, wow. Uh, he was an amateur, but a good one, uh, astrophysicist. Mm-hmm. And his, his, that was what the hypothesis he had for many years. Mm-hmm. But uh, he actually, at one point, went so far, I don't know where he is on this now, so far as to say he felt that the binary companion was the star um, Sirius. Yeah. And that's why it kept coming up in ancient, uh, particularly Egyptian, mm-hmm. um, not mythology, but right. history. It's possible it's a trinary, but the one that I discovered has been, now been labeled Biden. Biden. And it's just outside. No, like Joe Biden? Yeah, I know. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. All right. Biden. I'm very weird. If you look <laughs> Does it up, he know this? <laughs> I think he does by now. Uh, they, they, did, they, they did a whole thing about it on the news, and they brought an astrophysicist. And he showed the location of this object, and he said, "This is a solar system in our solar system, and it's just outside the orbit of Pluto, but inside the Oort cloud." And he said, "And then he says, this is the crazy. It's on my YouTube channel. He says, this is where we came from.' That's his exact words. 
You mm -hmm. said we're seeing this is where we came from. So I was like, so that, wow. that gave birth to this solar system. That would mean that our sun was newer, theoretically. Right, possibly our sun was, or that was a captured, or captured, uh, captured round dwarf. Okay. Because that, that happens a lot. Okay, so now let's go and you, you, you teased us a little bit ago, you mm -hmm. know, uh, junk DNA, which yeah. is just to <laughs> me, is just such a joke. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, you, you're somehow born with 95% junk DNA. Right. Yeah, right. So let's go back now into mm -hmm. the story. And this yeah. takes us back uh, toward, you know, like you said, a couple hundred thousand years ago, mm -hmm. not the beginning, but yeah. um, ancient enough times that that's where our story became, became corrupted. And mm -hmm. let's start talking about that. Yeah, I really do feel like the existing hominid that was on this planet mm -hmm. long before we got here as Homo sapiens sapiens was some other type of hominid, probably our cousins. And uh, according to a lot of the ancient texts, around 200,000 years ago, they began to genetically modify these existing hominids. It's been a, a little bit of a misleading thing going on in, the, in some of the ancient community and some of the truth-seeking community where they think that these Anunnaki or these Atlanteans created human beings. No. That's not accurate. That's not accurate. Yeah. We were already here. Yeah. They decided to genetically modify and right. manipulate us to work for them right. and do their bidding, basically. Uh, so around, you know, modern-day biologists and scientists have discovered that some of these modifications to the human body, to the Homo sapiens sapiens, happened around 200,000 years ago. Ironically, the same amount of time that, you know, the Inumilition, the Seven Steps of Creation, the mm -hmm. Atreus epic, the Epic of Gilgamesh, all these different epics that you read from these ancient Sumerian tablets... They start to talk about this happening around that time. Mm -hmm. Even the, uh, you know, um, the modification of chromosome number two and the addition of these telomeres that basically shrink on chromosome number two. That's all about 200,000 years ago as well. At that statement and that discovery, the understanding was that the human being that already existed here on this planet mm -hmm. had incredible creative manifesting capabilities. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Already just as good as, and as qualified as they were to become a spacefaring race. They, yes. he, realized, he realized it at that moment. So what did he do? He destroyed the Tower of Babel. Now, in the Bible, it's God. They say it's God, but it's really this little character who did it. It was copied from the ancient tablets. Uh, he destroyed it, and then he split the people up, put them around different parts of the planet, mm -hmm. and, and changed the languages right. so that they couldn't communicate and work together anymore. Made us enemies of each other. Mm -hmm. So brother fighting brother, so that we can't realize who the true enemy was. Yeah, I talked to some of the Aboriginal elders. Yeah. I mean, their story is, they're, they're from the Pleiadian star cluster. Mm -hmm. They were seated here by Pleiadians. Mm -hmm. This is their handed down verbal history. Uh, they truly believe it. They have a lot of extraordinary capabilities, extrasensory perception that the average person just doesn't have. They still have Absolutely. it. Uh, and there's a place down there called, in Kerryong 9 in Australia, where there's a partially uncovered Egyptian temple where the Egyptians would go there and to visit and learn from the aboriginals. Because they hadn't been tampered with. Exactly. That was the main reason why they were pure. And they would sit with the elders, they would go for walkabouts, they would learn directly from them. And they would write about this in this temple, which is etched into stone, and then they would go back to Egypt. And yeah. the story, the fact that they're saying that they're from the Pleiades, yes. that's amazing to me. And that they were the first seated people on this planet. Well, the last um, show I just did was with a man named Jason Quibb who started having dreams and becoming in contact with, coming in contact with uh, a pharaonic line, Egyptian, mm. passing knowledge on, that was said to have originated from the Pleiades through Atlantis, mm -hmm. down into Egypt, yeah. captured in stone in Egypt for us to resurrect today. Mm -hmm. Again, the same Pleiadian introduction of the, this yeah. knowledge, or actually I think it was more to remind us, help us remember mm -hmm. what we were once capable of. And this yeah. is part of the story that I just really, ticks me off yeah. that we were 
uh, tampered with in this way. So you carry on the story now. Yeah, we've basically been mind wiped. And yeah. there's a movie that I'm working on called Chronicles of the Anunnaki, and the opening scene is in the Pleiadian star cluster with a galactic war between the Lyrians and the Syrians. Mm -hmm. Because I really do believe that there was a galactic war there, and that um, what happened was the refugees from the remnants of whoever survived left out of there, went to the Orion, went to Sirius, mm -hmm. uh, and some might have crashed landed on this Nibiru planet, which is talked about in the New Milish, right, right. which was eventually captured by our solar system with this brown dwarf star. And this is why you have ancient accounts of these Anunnaki people, or these Atlanteans, coming from different star systems. It's, mm -hmm. and it's always specific star systems, and the Great Pyramid is aligned with these specific star systems. And I believe for a couple of reasons. One is because that's where they came from, and also that the Great Pyramid is probably a communications device, that through those shafts, through some type of subspace, subspace frequency, they would be in direct contact with whoever was on those planets. I do believe that, that yeah. that's a, at least in part what they were, because they were created by them, for them, essentially, right? right? They're, yeah. they're not for humans, per se. No, yeah. Right. Where it becomes of interest again in reintroduction into modern society today. Why mm. is this happening now? Why are we remembering? Why are we waking up? Why are we beginning to tell these stories to each other again? Well, you know, something amazing about DNA, it has an amazing storage capacity. One gram of DNA, which is enough to put a tiny drop on the tip of your finger, can store 433 petabytes of data. Wow. Absolute zeros and ones data. So what happened was this uh, scientist named uh, George Church, he actually uh, created an e-book, and uh, he then downloaded the e-book to the, to the DNA. He said, this is incredible. It can take downloads from a server and upload back to the server again. That's when he realized this is a digital you know, binary code. He said, let me replicate the book as many times as I can. He replicated it, I think, 80 million times or 80 billion times. It's a ridiculous number. Oh, my so, God. I didn't know that part. Uh, this is my understanding, too, that when we, ha when we um, start considering incarnation patterns, that it is tied in through the DNA. Mm -hmm. And there's a very practical reason for that. Yeah. What happened that is allowing us at this point in history? I mean, because if you're looking at the, the phenomena of these gravitational waves, mm -hmm. Right? You've got the phenomena of the Earth's own frequency shifting, the magnetic field dropping. Yeah. You've got a lot going on at one time. Where in this whole mix do we little human beings yeah. start like suddenly flowering again? I know, right? Am so among the insanity that's yeah. also cropping up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing because in the Emerald Tablets, folks talks about the fact that uh, he wrote these tablets for a new human being being birthed under a new sun, and in the, which is us in this day and yes. age. And uh, I think what he was referring to was the fact around 2012, which I knew was never going to be the end of the world, just right. another phase shift, our solar system, which undulates up and down the galactic equator mm -hmm. every so many tens of thousands of years. Well, we reached the center of the, right now, we're still hovering at the center of the galactic equator, which means the majority of the cosmic rays and energy coming from the galactic center is emanating right into us, through us, and all into our, into our DNA, into our brains and everything. And the fact that the magnetic field is diminished, it's allowing all that to come in even more. So now we're absorbing more of this cosmic energy directly from the galactic center, from the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. And it's coming into us and altering our DNA, reviving us, waking us up, reconnecting strands, and letting us realize and remember who we truly are. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you say this. Whew. Okay, so you can go to Billy's site, Forbidden Knowledge. That's a four, biddenknowledge.com. It offers loads of articles and insights in the ancient mysteries and all the other things we've been talking about here. Pull up a location device that through those shafts, 
through some type of subspace, subspace frequency, they would be in direct contact with whoever was on those planets. I do believe that, that yeah. that's at least in part what they were, because they were created by them for them, essentially, right? right? They're, yeah. they're not for humans per se. No, yeah. Right. Where it becomes of interest again in reintroduction into modern society today. Why yeah. is this happening now? Why are we remembering? Why are we waking up? Why are we beginning to tell these stories to each other again? Well, you know, something amazing about DNA, it has an amazing storage capacity. One gram of DNA, which is enough to put a tiny drop on the tip of your finger, can store 433 petabytes of data. Wow. Absolute zeros and ones data. So what happened was this uh, scientist named uh, George Church, he actually uh, created an e-book, and uh, he then downloaded the e-book to the, to the DNA. He said, this is incredible. It can take downloads from a server and upload back to the server again. That's when he realized this is a digital you know, binary code. He said, let me replicate the book as many times as I can. They replicated it, I think, 80 million times or 80 billion times. That's a ridiculous number. Oh, my so, God. I didn't know that part. Uh, this is my understanding, too, that when we, ha when we um, start considering incarnation patterns, that it is tied in through the DNA. Mm -hmm. And there's a very practical reason for that. Yeah. What happened that is allowing us at this point in history? I mean, because if you're looking at the, the phenomena of these gravitational waves, mm -hmm. Right? You've got the phenomena of the Earth's own frequency shifting, the magnetic field dropping. Yeah. You've got a lot going on at one time. Where in this whole mix do we little human beings yeah. start like suddenly flowering again? I know, right? Am it's among the insanity that's yeah. also cropping up. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing because the Emerald Tablets both talks about the fact that uh, he wrote these tablets for a new human being being birthed under a new sun, and, and the, which is us in this day and yes. age. And I think what he was referring to was the fact around 2012, which I knew was never going to be the end of the world, just right. another phase shift, our solar system, which undulates up and down the galactic equator mm -hmm. every so many tens of thousands of years. Well, we reached the center of the, right now, we're still hovering at the center of the galactic equator, which means the majority of the cosmic rays and energy coming from the galactic center is emanating right into us, through us, and all into our, into our DNA, into our brains, and everything. And the fact that the magnetic field is diminished, it's allowing all that to come in even more. So now we're absorbing more of this cosmic energy directly from the galactic center, from the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. And it's coming into us and altering our DNA, reviving us, waking us up, reconnecting strands, and letting us realize and remember who we truly are. Absolutely. I'm so happy to have you say this. Okay, so you can go to Billy's site, Forbidden Knowledge. That's a four, biddenknowledge.com. It offers loads of articles and insights in the ancient mysteries and all the other things we've been talking about here. You can also check him out on the search bar on Gaia on um, all the other shows he's appeared on here. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Carson. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about stargates and portals. All right, cool topic. Um, I'm going to go into some science dealing with the jet pillar onk and what that's all about and what it is. When I started researching these portals and stargates, I started finding something very similar between all of the ancient records and the history and the, the hearsay about them and some of the indigenous I'm about to cash a $50,000 check for an accident I was involved in over five months ago. The same accident, the insurance company offered me $5,000. information about the portals.
indigenous information about the portals is that only specific people were able to walk through the portals. It wasn't just like anybody can just walk through the portal. And it had a lot to do with DNA. It had a lot to do with frequency, atomic structure, and keys, okay, and codes. So this is what we're getting ready to get into. What is the atomic structure about? What is the DNA about? What are the keys and codes? So yesterday in my talk, or Saturday I think it was in my talk, we talked a little bit about the storage capability of DNA, how DNA stores memories and information. So I showed one particular video where uh, these scientists replicated their ebook 80 billion times on one gram of DNA. DNA stores digital bits of zeros and ones data. Hardcore, the same data that's on this computer that makes this show up on the screen is the same exact data that your DNA can store. It can upload and download, not only through a hard connection, but also wirelessly as well. What is stopping us right now from being successful with teleportation and all these other technologies that we want to be able to do? Well, the biggest problem with that is not that we don't know how to do it. We know how to do teleportation. We've done teleportation now for at least 10 years. We've been teleporting individual particles. Now we actually are able to teleport molecules. So we're teleporting, I think it was maybe five months ago, we teleported some molecules from Earth to the ISS, the International Space Station. That's a big feat. But the amount of memory it takes is significant. Now, with DNA hard drives, that's all gone. Because one human body can store 13.5 billion years of data, the same age as the universe. Uh, I remember a few years ago when the storage medium on one gram of DNA was 5.5 petabits, 700 terabytes. Now they've upped it to 433 petabytes. We're moving, we're moving fast. Now Microsoft here created the first DNA hard drive. So now everything is going to take off like lightning. And then you now we're going to have the, uh, the quantum computers, because that's also very important for Stargates, the ability to have quibits. And what a quibit is and how it works and why it works and how that integrates into Stargates. It's real, hardcore, advanced, super advanced technology. The next level is the atomic level. And this is important when you're talking about Stargates and portals. So scientists discovered that they can now write data directly onto each individual atom. Okay, so as you know, we have billions of atoms that make up a human body. Avatar, imagine writing data onto each individual atom. So when you're talking about these beings being extremely advanced and being able to live all these years and knowing all this information, imagine if you were able to transmit information directly onto each atom in your body and you're walking around with, you know, 100 trillion zettabytes of data that you have access to at any given time, your own internal internet. So when anybody asks you a question, the answer is instantaneously given because you're, you're pretty much uploading it from your atoms directly into your consciousness and spitting it out. You would appear to be a god. You're going to appear to, you're going to, appear to be uh, alpha and omega. I know everything and I'm everywhere and I know it. There's nothing I can't answer. Now let's unpack a tesseract because a tesseract is very important part of ancient history in my opinion it's what was involved or what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant a fourth dimensional cube and we're going to talk a little bit about the fourth dimensional cube because uh, it's a cube of unparalleled power and it gives you the access to the past present and future and any location you want to be in all at the same time so this is something that's encapsulated in something called Metatron's Cube, if you've ever heard of that. That's inside the Flower of Life. So when you unpack a fourth dimensional cube into three dimensional space, you get a cross. <laughs> the cross is the same cross as the Templar's cross, 
and some other crosses that you're going to see. Another uh, very um, important uh, sign that you're going to see in a little bit. But you get a cross when you unpack a fourth dimensional cube, which is Metatron's cube, which is considered by the ancients to be an archangel. Okay, Michael the archangel, I'm just saying. <laughs> Everything from the ancient times, when you listen to it and you compare it then to a modern day understanding of science, physics, and technology, you begin to see how they were using words and terminologies to the best of their ability to explain the things that we're now explaining or showing out to be technology or science. Okay? But think about a fourth dimensional cube. Who here saw uh, Interstellar? Okay. So he got into a tesseract on his way back when the ship was going through that weird space, right? And he came out of the ship. He didn't die. He ended up inside of a tesseract. He ended up inside of this. This is what he was inside of, a fourth dimensional cube that was unpacked. And then he was able to see the past, present, and future all at once. And according to quantum physics, there's 11 dimensions that make up this entire universe. According to theoretical physicists, without 11 dimensions, this universe would collapse. Maybe it has something to do with the power of 11. I mean, you know, we, we see it all the time, right? That 11, 11, but maybe it has something to do with it. Maybe we're in synchronicity with the universal consciousness, and that's why we're seeing 11s all the time. But 11 dimensions is what we're talking about. So according to the ancients, ascended masters would ascend to the 11th dimension. I mean, <laughs> you go to the ancient history and you come to the modern history, and Michio Kaku is saying the same thing that these ancient sages were saying thousands of years ago. It's really amazing. And then we have the Merkaba, okay, which we talk about in the mystery school. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba. Transgender. It's made very, very cool through the media. Through TikTok, through Reddit, through Tumblr, through Instagram, through Facebook, through Twitter, through their games. This is a Chinese Falun Gong misinformation campaign. doing this simultaneously. Simultaneously, school. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Merkaba today. The Merkaba is another method used by the ancients for travel. They would travel in a counter-rotating tetrahedron, which is two pyramids, you know, one top, one on the bottom, that would counter-rotate. It's like a light vessel. So they would actually be able to uh, go into a specific type of meditation and get into this light vehicle and travel throughout the universe some with the physical body and some only with consciousness. So in my book, Thoth the Atlantean, he talks about the capability of getting into this light vehicle, and he would travel the, world, the, the universe. He actually says he's, he went to uh, many worlds, and he watched civilizations rise and fall. How can you watch many civilizations rise and fall, okay, without aging? Mind is outside of space, mind is outside of time. So what may have been thousands of years for one civilization, or maybe even tens of thousands of years, could have only been just a few moments for Thoth in that particular mind state, because the mind is outside of space-time. So the Tesseract, okay? Hollywood has hit the Tesseract in plain sight. The Tesseract is the fourth-dimensional cube that we just talked about. It's been called the Cosmic Cube, the Hypercube. It appeared in Avengers Affinity War, Captain America, the first Avenger, A Wrinkle in Time, Iron Man 2, X-Men, The Matrix, Thor, The Avengers, Interstellar, the Dark World Prelude, uh, Transformers, and they even call one of the characters Megatron after Metatron, you know what I mean? Uh, they always try to hide the truth in plain sight. Um, then you have the Tesseract, more recently debuted in A Wrinkle in Time, also known as the Cosmic Cube. 
but that's the one that Oprah Winfrey was involved in. It's an enchanted object of unparalleled power. Metatron was originally a human elevated to archangel by the god, this is according to the ancients, for his services as a scribe. Foremost communicated between humans and the divine. He is best known for his, for his cube. To understand the meaning of sacred geometry symbols, Metatron's cube is based on a deceptively simple pattern called the fruit of life. Thirteen connected circles, which is in a concentrated ancient flower of life, inscribed on the walls of the Assyrian temple at Abydos in Egypt. I'll show you that a little bit later. The flower of life is a specific, regularly repeating pattern of circles rotating around a central point, and it contains a vast Akashic system of information. That's what stores the Akashic information. It's inside the flower of life symbol, which in my opinion is also what I call the face of God, including the templates for five platonic solids, key sacred shapes, which are the building blocks of creation. So to sum it up, the sacred geometric shapes forming the life begins as an ovum or sphere, becomes a tetrahedron, then a star tetrahedron, then a cube, another sphere, and finally a torus. Metatron cube is also known to me as what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, where does the energy source come from for these stargates? Energy source. So let's look at that. The energy source comes from the body as well. Scientists concluded that the average human body contains approximately 37.5 trillion cells. Each cell generates 0.07 volts of electricity. At 37.5 trillion cells, that's 2.63 trillion volts of electricity in one human body. You, each one of us is a walking nuclear explosion. Okay, That's in your body. 2.63 trillion volts of electricity. So, the power source is here. The memory source is here, right? Uh, the, the ability for the quantum uh, mode, the quantum computing is also inside of us. Why? Because it's inside of our consciousness. We have built-in quantum computers. We have the ability to process qubits. Right now, the human body has enough power to create the energy needed to jump through a portal and open and hold open a stable portal as well. this before it's too late. If you think the law of attraction isn't working for you, then try speaking these 20 word scripts from the Bible. It instantly raises your vibration. This 20 word biblical script is so powerful it alters the Once a king was building his tomb, 
if, if uh, for whatever reason, uh, another person was coming up behind him, another king was coming up behind him, or there was a takeover, if they would find that tomb built and waiting for the current king to pass on, they may assassinate that king and steal the tomb for themselves, so they don't have to invest any money into creating their own tomb, because these tombs cost money, believe it or not. So, they would jack each other for tombs. Uh, you know, it's just crazy. Uh, but so, you know, it's, it's no wonder why they would try to claim building the Great Pyramid. I mean, who, would want, who wouldn't want to have a feat like that in their honor, in their, in their name? You know what I mean? So it was really just a bunch of, a bunch of lies. Um, they really tried to put claims in that they had owned it or created it, but they never had laid one brick, never invested any money or time and energy into one brick in the Great Pyramid. As a matter of fact, we're going to show you today how old the Great Pyramid is. Some of you may have heard my theory about it being 36,000 years old which I came up on my own based on the procession of the equinoxes and the constellation of Leo. Well, I'm not the only one. Later on, I found a very famous historian that came up with the same conclusion. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. But we're going to show that small clip as well. And then we're going to see a very amazing clip about the Giza Plateau. But Thoth says, build an eye, the Great Pyramid, patterned after the pyramid Earth's force, burning eternally so that it too might remain through the ages. In it, I build it my knowledge of magic science. Now, magic science translates into advanced technology. That's what it means. Okay. In it, I build it my knowledge of, of magic science so that it might be here when I again return from Amenti. I, while I sleep in the halls of Amenti, my soul roaming free will incarnate, dwell among men in one form or another. Here we have again his account of he's in the halls of Amenti, which are located underneath the Great Pyramid. And while his body is in there, really, his consciousness is now inhabiting another avatar body and walking amongst men. They make many, many references to the fact that they walk amongst men, but unlike a man. Uh, and these halls of Amenti, as I was saying yesterday, had been discovered underneath the Great Pyramid. They're about a mile deep. They found hundreds of rooms, archway rooms, underneath the Great Pyramid that extend out under the Giza Plateau about one mile. About one mile beneath. And Ground penetrating radar from satellites is now proving this. They also found, guess what, guys? Hundreds, not a few dozen, hundreds of pyramids underneath the sand at Giza. Hundreds of pyramids. And those pyramids were buried with sand from 400 miles away. Okay, think about that. So when they bailed out of here after the last pyramid war, they literally uh, took all the technology out of all the pyramids and temples, and then they buried as much as they possibly could. More evidence. Here's how to legally steal gasoline from gas stations. This ex-programmer got fired from his job at a German car manufacturer after... They literally uh, took all the technology out of all the pyramids and temples, and then they buried as much as they possibly could. More evidence of this. Anybody heard of uh, Gobekli Tepe? Okay. Ancient site in Turkey. Well, this site in Turkey, uh, which is a, it's only like not even one-fourth uh, revealed now in terms of being dug up archaeologically. It's such a massive, massive site. This site dates back to about 14,000 years, right before the last ice age. And the stone pillars that have come up have etchings uh, or, or carvings of dinosaurs and humans and, and animals that don't even belong in that region. But the most amazing thing about this, the synchronicity, the sand that buried this entire civilization of Gobetu Tepe comes from hundreds of miles away. Buried on purpose. Buried on purpose. And the more you look into the ancient past, the more you look into these ancient sites that I've been to, you begin to realize when these uh, these uh, temples and these pyramids are buried, 
and, you, and, they, and they investigate the sand and they investigate the soil samples, they begin to realize buried on purpose. And it just keeps coming up over and over again. So you begin to realize that there was an actual uh, um, purposeful attempt to hide this information from us thousands of years ago before we got into what we call the modern era. You know, before we got here. We're just now starting to re rediscover everything that already existed, basically. The pyramid is encoded with the distance to the sun. Now, you know, this is uh, something that a lot of people don't know. The pyramid is a giant mathematical computer. It's almost as if what Thoth did was he took every computation, every calculation about our solar system and astrophysics about this particular sector of space that he can find through whatever gathering data collection mission he had, whatever technology he had to collect this information. And then he literally programmed that into the Great Pyramid, the construction of the Great Pyramid. So it hides all of this information, all these secrets. The Great Pyramid is encoded with the distance to the sun, the sun's parallax, the size of the Earth viewed from the sun. So that's what a parallax is. So uh, the size of the sun as viewed from our perspective on the planet is what we call a parallax. That parallax is what allows uh, for eclipses, for example. So from our position here on Earth, the, the, our moon perfectly um, covers the sun's disk because of that, that angle that we're at from this objective. But the size of the Earth as viewed from the, uh, from, as viewed from the sun expressed as an angle and generally taken to be one-half the diameter uh, at the equator. So basically, the solar uh, equatorial parallax is 8.9008091 seconds apart. Now, that was a lot of math here. Using 918,000, uh, 91,048,817. So that's really a lot of miles. But basically what this whole thing is saying here is that when you start to analyze these numbers, and you start to really look at the programming that's been put into this, you begin to realize that this is that the way that this, the way that the pyramid was built is was built to tell us or give us a message about uh, our uh, you know our solar system for people in this era. Everything that's hidden inside the pyramid, all these numbers, is is made for us because we're the only ones now that can kind of really decipher it. So when you begin to analyze it, you begin to analyze and realize that this information wasn't for people not even a hundred years ago, not even two hundred years ago. This information is for us right now, and there's a reason for that, which I'm going to show you here in a little bit. But uh, the Anunnaki named Thoth, also known as Nicazita in the Sumerian tablets, the son of Anki, in his own words, built the Great Pyramid from the top down. Okay? From the top down. So it wasn't like it was built from the, from the base up, it was built from the top down. So one of the most amazing anomalies right here on Earth embedded, embedded in the Great Pyramid, the tropical year or calendar year can be calculated. And basically that is the length of the base which is 9,131 pyramid inches, measured at the mean socket level, or 365.24 pyramid cubits, which is the number of days in a year. Okay, This is amazing stuff. It's accurate to within five digits. The perimeter of the base divided by 100 equals 365.24. These aren't just coincidences, guys. This is real mathematics showing you that the pyramid is telling you how many days are in a year based off of the, uh, based off the way that the building the structure is built. The tropical gear can be calculated. The length of the anti-chamber uh, used in the diameter of the circle produces a circumference of 365. The tropical gear can be ca calculated. The ratio of the lengths of the grand gallery to the solid diagonal of the king's chamber times 100 equals the number of days in a tropical year. Okay, That's accurate within eight digits. The sidereal year, the length of the anti-chamber of the king's chamber times pi equals the length of the sidereal year in pyramid inches. I mean, again, these are not just accidental coincidences. The mean distance to the sun 
half the length of the diagonal of the base times 10 uh, 6 squared average equals the average distance to the sun, the mean distance to the sun. The height of the pyramid times 10 by 9 represents the mean radius of the Earth's orbit around the sun for the AU, which is an astronomical unit uh, in pyramid inches, you can see it there. But this is really amazing because now we're talking about an astronomical unit is the distance from the distance from Earth to the sun, but now you can also multiply that by planet. So if you take that distance, which you know that now set number, and then you go, okay, well, how far away is Mars from the sun? If you could put that exact distance in over like a ruler over and over again, you get several of those. And now you can say, okay, well, Mars is 4 AU from the sun, for example. So it's like a measuring stick. So they knew the distance from the Earth to the sun and were able to use it as a measuring stick. And we now just started doing that in modern science and astrophysics. The sun's radius, you can find that out by going twice the perimeter of the bottom of the granite copper times 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The Earth's polar radius. The sacred cubit times 10 by 7 equals the polar radius of the Earth, which is the distance from the North Pole to Earth's center. I mean, how do you figure this stuff out and build it into this? You have to have satellites, you have to be orbiting from space, you have to have scanners, you have to have the capability of having advanced technology that can figure out all this information so that you can actually then take it and program it into the pyramid. Uh, you have also the um, uh, Earth's polar radius. The pyramid embodies a scale ratio of 1 by 432. Now the pyramid, a lot of people don't know this, is incredible because it is a 1 by 432 scale of the Earth. This is now well known. That's actually taught in school. And it resonates at 432 hertz, which is why a lot of the songs I put out are automatically, I program them or I put the frequency to 432, or I tune it to 432 hertz, which is a nice resonant frequency, which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. This is amazing stuff, that the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi, they knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these um, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the royal cubit as it relates to Earth, the size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in, the mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain an orbit. This program is the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to, what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? So you want to know where to invest $1,000 right now? Well, forget about stocks, real estate, or cryptocurrency. There is a little known trend taking America by storm right now called digital. The true secret, what the true agenda is. The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know. Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the second uh, pyramid war, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here and stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times the speed of sound 
to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. You'll be brought back down by gravity. Okay. So if your plane is traveling at 400 miles an hour and you're going straight up, you can't go into space. If you're in an airplane that's traveling 500 miles an hour and you're going straight up, your plane will lose velocity and you will be, then be brought back. Okay. Uh, that's just general physics. You have to be in a vessel traveling 33 times the speed of sound. You know that's the whole mystery and secret behind space travel. If you look at the um, the launch pad at uh, in Florida at the Space Coast, it's launch pad number 33. And there's only one launch pad, by the way. The escape velocity from Earth to obtain an escape from the combined Earth and Sun gravitational field is also appropriate. The significance of the location of the Great Pyramid. Well, uh, now that would be something incredible. The Great Pyramid is located at the direct center of the landmass of the planet Earth. Not the center of the Earth, the center of the land mass. Now, let me give you a little hint on that. To, in order to obtain the center of land mass for a planet or a moon, you can't orbit with a satellite around the equator. Most satellites go around a planet like this, right? You have to do something we just were able to do in the 1990s. You have to create a North Pole orbit. So your satellite has to orbit this way, which we just learned how to do about 20 years ago. So as the satellite's orbiting the planet or the moon this way, and that planet or moon is spinning on its axis, the satellite is now taking scans, swaths of scans or images. And then at the end of the rotation of that planet or, or spatial body on its axis, those images are stitched together, and now you have a complete image, a map, on the topography of that entire moon or that planet. That's how you have to do it. So for these ancient civilizations to be able to program, the, program that into the Great Pyramid, they would have had to have technology that was on that same exact level or higher. They would have had to have been in space with a North Pole orbiting satellite that had the capability of scanning for uh, topography. And then they would have to stitch that image together, put it into a computer, and come up with a total calculation of all the landmass, and then say, okay, now computer, tell me which location is the center of this landmass, and I'm going to put my massive Great Pyramid right on that exact spot. Okay, this is why we can't replicate and duplicate these great feats of the ancients because we don't—we're just not getting to it. We're just starting to walk technologically. They had this stuff way back then. Uh, you know, so that's why I laugh when mainstream uh, media tries to say this stuff is just you know coincidences and stuff like. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, everything happens for a specific reason. Uh, so you have that. Um, the mean distance to the sun and the circumference of the earth, circumference of the earth's orbit, <clears throat> the neutral points of uh, gravity between the earth and the sun. Between the earth and the sun, there's something called X points. These X points were just discovered about maybe eight to ten years ago, and these X points are actual portals, well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X points. X points open and close all around the planet Earth on a daily basis. There are portals that open up direct passages, not only to the sun, but even to other planets in our solar system. These portals are there, they've been verified, and um, they're real, and they're called X-points. But this is already programmed into the Great Pyramid. Probably how they found the X-points was by studying an ancient, ancient, ancient Egyptian uh, uh, buildings uh, and the pyramids. Uh, so you have that, you have um, the uh, metonic 19-year cycle of the moon, Earth's orbit, the language point, or L1 between Earth and the Moon. I'm sorry, the Lagrange point between the Earth and the Moon. You have the speed of light built into the Great Pyramid. If you look at the longitude of the Grand Gallery, 
in meters per second, you have the exact digits of the speed of light in meters per second. Now, people say, oh, we just discovered meters like in the 1960s. No. No. That's what everybody will tell you. Oh, this, you know, this Asian guy, he found out. No. Listen, if you go into Sumerian tablets and study Sumerians, you discover that they discovered proto-Sumerian writing etched in stone and bowls in South America, in, in uh, Mexico. Okay? And this is, it's got its own Wikipedia page. I'm not the Wikipedia is the most trusted source, but it's in, it's in museums. This is well documented. They had the metric system all the way back then. They were using it all the way back then. Six to eight thousand years ago, well documented. Proto-Sumerian writing in Mesoamerica using uh, meters per second. We didn't discover meters per second. We, the, meter, the metric system, we just rediscovered it. Or maybe the gentleman came across this Proto-Sumerian information and uh, figured it all out, you know, and made it popular again. But that's the truth. The truth is the metric system already exists. So when you talk to somebody about the speed of light, the first thing you're going to say if they know a little bit about metrics is they're going to tell you, oh, we just, the metric system didn't exist back then. It's new. Well, no, not really. You can tell them, and you can Google it, and you can show them. There's museums, there's history about it, there's articles and blogs about it. Proto-Sumerian. Proto-Sumerian. What is Sumerian text doing in Mexico and South America? Because the Atlanteans were a galactic and also a planetary civilization. When people say, where is Atlantis? Where is Atlantis? Where did it sink? Okay, well, right. times 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The building, the structure is built. The trough of here can be calculated. The length of the anti-chamber uh, used in the diameter of the circle produces a circumference of 365. The trough of here can be calculated. The ratio of the length of the grand gallery to the solid diagonal of the king's chamber times 100 equals the number of days in a tropical year. Okay? That's accurate with the main digits. The sidereal year, the length of the antechamber of the king's chamber times pi equals the length of the sidereal year in pyramid inches. I mean, again, these are not just accidental coincidences. The mean distance to the sun, half the length of the diagonal of the base times 10 uh, 6 squared average equals the average distance to the sun. The mean distance to the sun, the height of the pyramid times 10 by 9, represents the mean radius of the Earth's orbit around the sun, or the AU, which is an astronomical unit, uh, in current inches, you can see it there. But this is really amazing because now we're talking about, an astronomical unit is the distance from, the distance from Earth to the sun, but now you can also multiply that by planet. So if you take that distance, which you know that now set number, and then you go, okay, well, how far away is Mars from the sun? If you can put that exact distance in over like a ruler over and over again, you get several of those. And now you can say, okay, well, Mars is 4 AU from the sun, for example. So it's like a measuring stick. So they knew the distance from the Earth to the sun and were able to use it as a measuring stick. And we now just start doing that in modern science and natural physics. The sun's radius, you can find that out by going twice the perimeter of the bottom of the granite copper times 10 by 8 squared is the sun's mean radius. The Earth's polar radius, the sacred cubic times 10 by 7 equals the polar radius of the Earth, which is the distance from the North Pole to Earth's center. Okay, <laughs> how do you figure this stuff out and build it into this? You have to have satellites, you have to be orbiting from space, you have to have scanners, you have to have the capability of having advanced technology that can figure out all this information so that you can actually then take it and program it into the pyramid. Uh, you have also the... Um, uh, Earth's polar radius, the pyramid embodies a scale ratio of 1 by 432. 
Now the pyramid, a lot of people don't know this, is incredible because it is a 1 by 432 scale of the earth. This is now well known. That's actually taught in school. And it resonates at 432 hertz, which is why a lot of the songs that I put out are automatically, I program them or I put the frequency to 432 or I tune it to 432 hertz, which is a nice resonant frequency, which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. This is amazing stuff that the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi, they knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these um, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the world cubic as it relates to Earth, the size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in, the mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain an orbit is programmed into the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to, what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know? Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war, that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the Second uh, Pyramid War, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet, and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here and stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times to see the sound to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not, uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. You'll be brought back down by gravity. Okay? So if your plane is traveling at 400 miles an hour and you're going straight up, you can't go into space. If you're in an airplane that's traveling 500 miles an hour and you're going straight up, your plane will lose velocity and you will then be brought back. Okay? Uh, that's just general physics. You have to be in a vessel traveling 33 times the speed of sound. You know, that's the whole mystery and secret behind space travel. If you look at the um, the launch pad at uh, in Florida at the Space Coast, it's launch pad number 33. There's only one launch pad, by the way. The escape velocity from Earth to obtain an escape from the combined Earth and Sun gravitational field is also programmed. The significance of the location of the Great Pyramid. Well, uh, now, that would be something incredible. The, the Great Pyramid is located at the direct center of the land mass of the planet Earth. Not the center of the Earth, the center of the land mass. Now, let me give you a little hint on that. To, in order to obtain the center of land mass for a planet or a moon, you can't orbit with a satellite around the equator. Most satellites go around a planet like this, right? You have to do something we just were able to do in the 1990s. You have to create a North Pole orbit. So your satellite has to orbit this way, which we just learned how to do about 20 years ago. So as the satellite's orbiting the planet or the moon this way, and that planet or the moon is spinning on its axis, the satellite's now taking scans, swaths of scans or images. And then at the end of the rotation of that planet or, or spatial body on its axis, those images are stitched together, and now you have a complete image, a map, a topography of that entire moon or that planet. That's how you have to do it.
So for these ancient civilizations to be able to program the, program that into the Great Pyramid, they would have had to have technology that was on that same exact level or higher. They would have had to have been in space with a North Pole orbiting satellite that had the capability of scanning for uh, topography. And then they would have to stitch that image together, put it into a computer, and come up with the total calculation of all the landmass, and then say, okay, now computer, tell me which location is the center of this landmass, and I'm going to put my massive Great Pyramid right on that exact spot. Okay? This is why we can't replicate and duplicate these great feats of the ages, because we don't, we're just not getting to it. We're just starting to walk technologically. They had this stuff way back then. Uh, you know, so that's why I laugh when mainstream uh, media tries to say that this stuff is just, you know, coincidences and stuff like that. I don't believe in coincidences. Um, everything happens for a specific reason. Uh, so, you have that, um, the mean distance to the sun and the circumference of the Earth, circumference of the Earth's orbit, <clears throat> the neutral points of uh, gravity between the Earth and the sun. Between the Earth and the sun, there's something called X points. These X points were just discovered about maybe eight to ten years ago, and these X points are actual portals, well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X points. If you've been injured in a car accident, don't call an attorney. Use this AI app instead. That's what I did, and it's how I got this $100,000 check in less than 30 seconds. I know it sounds crazy, but trust me, if you've been injured in a car accident, well documented now, even admitted openly by NASA and many other scientific agencies and even universities that study these X points. X points open and close all around the planet Earth on a daily basis. They are portals that open up direct passages, not only to the sun, but even to other planets in our solar system. These portals are there, they've been verified, and um, they're real, and they're called X points. But this is already programmed into the Great Pyramid. Probably how they found the X points was by studying an ancient, ancient, ancient Egyptian uh, village uh, and pyramids. Uh, so you have that, you have a uh, the uh, metonic 19-year cycle of the moon-earth orbit, the language point, or L1, between Earth and the moon, I'm sorry, the Lagrange point between the Earth and the moon. You have the speed of light built into the Great Pyramid. If you look at the longitude of the Grand Gallery in meters per second, you have the exact digits of the speed of light in meters per second. Now, people say, oh, we just discovered meters like in the 1960s. No. No. That's what everybody will tell you. Oh, this, you know, this Asian guy, he found out, no. Listen, if you go into Sumerian tablets and study Sumerians, you discover that they discovered proto-Sumerian writing etched in stone and bowls in South America, in uh, Mexico. Okay? And this is, it's got its own Wikipedia page. I'm not the Wikipedia is the most trusted source, but it's in, it's in museums. This is well documented. They had the metric system all the way back then. They were using it all the way back then. Six to eight thousand years ago, well documented, proto-Sumerian writing in Mesoamerica, using uh, meters per second. We didn't discover meters per second, we, the, meter, the metric system, we just rediscovered it. Or maybe the gentleman came across this protosomatic information and uh, figured it all out, you know, and made it popular again. But that's the truth. The truth is the metric system already exists. So when you talk to somebody about the speed of light, the first thing you're going to say if they know a little bit about metrics is they're going to tell you, oh, we just, the metric system didn't exist back then. It's new. Well, no, not really. You can tell them, and you can Google it, and you can show them. There's museums, there's history about it, there's articles and blogs about it. Proto-Sumerian. Proto-Sumerian. What is Sumerian text doing in Mexico and South America? Because the Atlanteans were a galactic 
and also a planetary civilization. When people say, where is Atlantis? Where is Atlantis? Where did it sink? Mm, we're standing on Atlantis. What sunk or what disappeared, that ring city that Plato talked about, that was just one of the capitals on this planet, just one of many capitals on this planet. He built that city as an abode uh, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean to keep uh, his competitors or his, his uh, warring relatives away because he wanted to have he wanted to have women, human women. I mean, it's just really what it was. He wanted to have some human women. That was really what it came down to. They were disgusted that he had done that, and they wanted to battle him, and they wanted to destroy his city, all because of that. But that was just one capital. Atlantis was a global civilization and also interplanetary. Global. Every one of us, no matter where we leave here and go, we're all standing on top of Atlantis, no matter where we go. Okay. Um, the orbital velocity of the solar system relative to the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Okay, a lot of people don't know this, but our planet orbits the sun, and our sun orbits the galaxy. It orbits the galactic, uh, the, the mass, supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. So everything is in motion. Everything is in motion. As a matter of fact, our planets actually chase the sun. Uh, it, you know, so they, even though it appears from the diagrams that it's or, everything is orbiting in this like equated, equator type of an orbit, as the sun moves, our planets are chasing it and orbiting this way. It's a totally different way of looking at it. But and it creates, ironically, creates the same form of, of DNA uh, if you look at the light trail. But that's the way that everything orbits. But, but uh, it's really interesting that our sun is in motion, uh, which means everything is in constant motion. Which is, which is just really incredible. We're not completely uh, in a standstill state. Everything is in motion. The velocity of the local group of galaxies, which includes the Milky Way galaxy relative to the universe. So built into the Great Pyramid is the speed that our galaxy is flying through the universe, which we've been able to calculate based off of uh, focusing on Andromeda and other galaxies and figuring out how we're closing in on them and how, how we're moving away from them through redshift. The redshift is a very easy way to calculate. Redshift is, a, redshift is created when you're moving away from an object. You, the, 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 the color of the red then determines the speed. This is now well known. That's actually taught in school. And it resonates at 432 hertz, which is why a lot of the songs that I put out are automatically I program them or I put the frequency to 432 hertz, 432 hertz, which is a nice resonant frequency which is being emitted by the Great Pyramid. So this is amazing information. None of this stuff is happening by happenstance. You can't just get this 432 scale of the planet Earth without knowing what the planet, how big the planet Earth actually is. This is amazing stuff that the, the knowledge and wisdom here is off the charts. Um, you know, they knew about pi, they knew about uh, all of these different uh, incredible, they knew about the golden ratio. It's all been programmed into this multifunctional stone computer. So we'll look at a couple of these uh, incredible mathematical anomalies. The precise definition of the royal cubit as it relates to Earth, the size and shape of the Earth is all programmed in, the mass and density of the Earth, the gravitational constant, the escape velocity of the Earth to obtain an orbit is programmed into the Great Pyramid. Does anybody know what that number is? Okay, yeah, then you do. The secret to, what is the secret to um, the 33rd degree Masons? Does anybody know the true secret, what the true agenda is? The true agenda of the 33rd degree Masons, which has been this much, you know, ambiguous topic. Oh, 33rd degree Masons, blah, 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 you know? Okay, well, what does it mean? Nobody really knows. They just think it's bad automatically. 
Well, what dates back to the uh, ancient Sumerians and to the, to the last pyramid war that happened after the flood, dealing with Amun-Ra and the second uh, pyramid war, which caused the expansion of the Sahara Desert, by the way. And um, so basically, uh, some people were stuck here on this planet, and some of them were able to leave. And the main goal and objective of that bloodline that was here, stranded here and stuck here, was to regain uh, uh, space, access to space. And you have to travel 33 times the speed of sound to enter into orbit around this planet. If you don't have an escape velocity of 33 times the speed of sound, you will not, uh, you will not achieve escape velocity. You'll be stuck. you can see, it would be very easy. If you had the capability of doing something like this and knowing all this information thousands of years ago, and you run into a civilization that's obviously uh, less advanced, they're going to deify you. They're going to make you into a god. We do it all the time. Uh, there's a place called Atini, uh, uh, Bikini Atoll, uh, in the South Pacific. And we went there to do nuclear testing, unfortunately. Um, but in the process of setting up the nuclear test, we began to uh, send military troops, and they had never seen any outsiders, never. They saw airplanes, they saw tanks, they saw boats pulling up on the shore, and they automatically thought these had to be gods. And then we started giving them things, started giving them food, cans of spam, all this kind of stuff. And they started thinking these were gifts from the gods, instantly, okay? After we left, what'd they do? They started building airplanes out of tree reeds and branches, building uh, AK-47 guns out of branches and trees. They even tattooed USA on their chest. It's called a cargo cult, and it, ha it happens no matter where you go in this universe when you have that situation. That's why there's a prime directive that's talked about in a lot of science fiction movies, but I believe that prime directive is a real thing. The prime directive of an advanced civilization interacting is forbidden to interact with a less advanced civilization. Um, the Anunnaki violated their prime directive when they came to Earth and began to mine spread for resources. They did it for about 250,000 years without interfering with the existing hominid on this planet. But at that point, according to the Enuma Elish, there was going to be a war break out between the Ejiji and the, uh, the higher-class Anunnaki, 